I turn to making these because I just want to have that feeling in the world. You know, there's just so many crazy things happening like now. And I want to combat all the negative things in the world by creating something that's going to bring joy to the world, you know? Hello, welcome to Grand Canyon Speaks. My name is Ranger Jonah. And I'm Ranger Melissa. So, Melissa, you did this episode. Who did you do this episode with? Yeah, I interviewed Gregory Hill, who's a Hopi toy maker. I really enjoyed this episode because he dives into this concept of work leading to play and how we all should learn to be more playful in our adult lives and reach into that inner child, which he called kid magic. Um, It was really cool um, giving this interview because even during this talk, he was actually making toys while we were talking to the audience. So it's kind of cool. And you might actually hear that in the recording today. Yeah. So in fact, one of the things he talks about is how the toys that he makes are traditional, but recently they haven't really been made. They sort of stopped being made. It was sort of a forgotten toy. And Greg has a lot of passion for bringing this toy back. And and that is just so cool. Yeah. He even said that by making these toys, Other carvers in his community are also looking to bring these toys back, which is super exciting. Um, So I really hope everyone enjoys this episode. Without further ado, Gregory Hill. time so we're gonna get started and I'm sure people will mosey on over um, but my name is Melissa I work here at Grand Canyon National Park we have Gregory Hill right here um, he is a self-proclaimed nerd I found out <laughs> earlier today um, he is also a twin we just found out which is really cool he's from Hopi and he also makes tops which is how do you say it in Hopi in Hopi we call it a patukya a patukya patukya yeah a patukya um, the actual spinning motion of it is called riyanpi. So riyanpi is like that spinning motion that we make. Like if you stand and stood up and start spinning, you like riyanpi, but this is the toy. It's called a patukya. So the actual toy thing is called a patukya. Which is really exciting that um, we are exploring this because I also really enjoy Gregory's uh, influence in terms of the power of play really trying to bring play into art, which is really cool. We're gonna explore this through a pilot program or a program we call Grand Canyon Speaks here, where we invite uh, people from the 11 traditionally associated tribes of Grand Canyon to share their voice and authentically be themselves um, with visitors like you all to Grand Canyon National Park. So we will get started and I will uh, start asking fun questions. And then at the end, Um, I'll open the floor up for questions from y'all. And so we'll kind of work through that together. Uh, My first question is, we keep saying Hopi, um, but could you explain where you're from and where that is located for people who might Um, not know? See, where are we at now? Okay, um, (laughs) so Flagstaff, right? The San Francisco Peaks. Um, Hopi would be due east right here, like maybe 63 miles. You'd uh, come upon a place called Tuba City. So Tuba City is like on the Navajo reservations, but that's like the edge of the border for the Hopi and Navajo reservation. So like here's, um, I think it's Highway 87 or 89. Yeah, so 89 runs to Tuba City, but like 
on this side of the road is the Hopi start of the Hopi reservation. Uh, so you'd come upon a village called Munkapi. Um, so if you keep going east on Highway 264, uh, you'll come like maybe 45 minutes further east. Uh, you'll come into another village called Hopevela, and that's situated in an area that's called, there's three mesas that the Hopi live on. So the Hopevela and Olderaibi and the village of Kikutsmobi, those are all on the third mesa, which kind of juts out. So you got like Hopevela and then Olderaibi, then it's like a mesa goes down and below it's Kikutsmobi. And then so the road goes up further into like maybe another 10 miles up, you'll start going up into another mesa that second mesa so there's three villages situated up there in like rocks you know it look you, from afar it looks like a mountain you get close you start seeing houses and stuff in there so it's like really looks like a big mesa so those are the second mesas and you go further down you get to the first mesa which uh, resides to um, the consolidated villages of palaka first mesa consolidated villages uh hano walpi tewa sechomovi uh, lower the lower villages this village is like totally on a big giant narrow strip of rock that goes up probably like 100 feet at least cool. so uh, I'm from the village of Kikutsmovi which lies in like a valley above the village Olderaibi which is the one of the most continuously inhabited oldest continuously inhabited villages in the United States so um, yeah Thanks. That's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you go that, that way. Yeah. No, you go yeah. that way. <laughs> you go that way. That's my. That's where I come from. <laughs> no, I like it. Um, yeah. When you think of home, are there any certain like sounds, sense of smell, like anything um, that like brings up memories of home for you? Yeah, yeah, like um, the rain smell. Mm -hmm. um, like after it rains, you know, like uh, uh, that that wet earth smell. Yeah. Um, Mostly things that I encounter in nature remind me of home. Like there's certain bugs that I encounter that only come out up there, you know, cool. that you don't see in the southern part of the state where I live in Scottsdale. So there's things that I see down there that that I miss about from home because oh. it's like a whole different mentality. Yeah. And, you know, in a city, it's like every man for themselves, you know. But out in Hopi, it's like a community and people help each other, you know, like everybody come eat. It's not like, oh, you can't come eat because, you know, there's like whatever. If there's not enough, we'll make enough. Right. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that remind me of home. Um, when I was in my apprenticeship uh, at a butcher, mm -hmm. um, I used to live in Albuquerque. Um, so I get like homesick, you know, because yeah. that was like one of the first cities that I moved to as, as a, a grown up, you know. So um, I would miss home, but um, the Pueblos around there, they have like ceremonies and dances and stuff and feasts. So if I missed home a lot, I'd just go to one of the Pueblos and eat and watch the dances and whatever. Yeah. And that really like took me home. So I didn't have a lot of like angst and all of that yeah. from missing home and whatnot. So it's like a sense of community. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's yes, cool. yes. That's awesome. Yeah, when you uh, you talked about your apprenticeship with butcher, being a butcher, mm -hmm. um, that was before you started doing your tops. Yeah. Um, um, so what made you switch from your um, long stint as a butcher to starting becoming an artist? Um, I never like imagined that I would be a toy maker. You know, yeah. artist, toy maker. Um, 
it was more like a hobby to me being a, a doing this from because butching is like, like like my passion you know i can i can do all the whole aspect of it nowadays there's um meat cutters so a meat cutter is just basically cutting this muscle that's coming already separated in a big box full of other same kind of muscles you're just cutting it up into steaks you know mm. i know how to like like do the whole thing from the slaughtering to the processing to to doing that part of it taking the steaks apart so uh, it's like i never thought i'd be doing anything else in my whole life i was uh had plans for opening up like a butcher shop and like a mobile butcher shop for people that are um, like game hunters and yeah. whatnot. So um, I had big old plans for that. If I wasn't doing this, I would have been like a successful butcher shop owner right now. <laughs> but um, uh, this turned off as started off as a hobby. But um, I, for one thing, my OCD won't allow me to stop making them because mm. they all have to spin exactly right and if and if I have this right now it's like I'm not going to stop until it spins so that's one of my problems that I have with this making these because I can't stop but um I always told myself that uh okay you can be an artist for a little while you know but then it's not going to be really lucrative yeah. and you know it's like i'm finding that out yeah it's like i have to work uh, twice as hard as i ever would as a butcher you know it's mm -hmm. like I, I work eight hours a butcher i work 23 hours as a toy maker you know so um but i have before it was just like something to do but then now as um i'm learning and like evolving as an artist um it turned into something different it turned into something that um, I'm creating something that's going to bring like mirth and joy, happiness, you know, like a childlike wonder is what it is. That little kid magic that we all possess, but sometimes we lose as we grow up because we stop playing. Mm -hmm. So I turned to making these because I just want to have that feeling in the world. You know, there's just so many crazy things happening like now and I want to combat all the negative things in the world by creating something that's going to bring joy to the world, you know? And um, I think that's like a good mission to have, you know? My mission is to recreate a dying toy and um, encourage the the childlike mirth in others. others. So um, I think that's like a good mission to have, you know? Um, I use my art to promote different um, conservation efforts like the Grand Canyon, um, I work with the uh, International Crane Foundation. I use my art to promote um, knowledge about the uh, whooping and sandhill cranes, which are on the endangered species list. Um, I work with a group that um, um, works with turtles, like uh, endangered species turtles and the hatchings and whatnot. So um, it turned into like a, a, a good business for me, you know, because uh, I started winning awards uh, for my work, I thought that, you know, once I'm going to win an award, then that's it, you know. I always told myself that over the years, you know, as I'm doing this. And I finally won an award, and it was funny because, like, my brain shut off <laughs> to doing this because, you know, that was it. And I, I couldn't think of ideas to carve. I couldn't for, like, maybe three months. I was just, like, blank. I had, like, artist block. And to <laughs> me, I was like, well, you're finished, so why, why keep doing it, you know? Yeah. But then um, I had to, like challenge myself again like okay well you, you're winning you'd win this award try to win first place you know 
So right now I got first, second, and third place awards in my category, which is traditional arts. And I got two honorable mentions in fine art and a sculpture division. So that's like different for me because I never think of this stuff as fine art mm -hmm. or sculpture. But you know, like some of the ones that I really carve out really could be like fine art and sculpture. So, so um, my new challenge to me as a toy maker and artist is to try to win more awards you know like bigger awards so that's my personal challenge i could stop and you know like not, not do it anymore but You're you know at the same time like yeah 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 i'm setting my pedestal higher for myself so right now um for one show they'll show that um i should have bought my award-winning one but um at this one show that i've been attending for the past uh six years um I got first, second, and third place. So now I just want to win the best of show, which is like the whole, the whole, the big, the top prize. So that's my new goal as an artist is to try to try to win more awards. Right. And when you were, we were talking earlier, um, and one way of doing that is actually you've passed on some knowledge of how to make this with your daughter. Do you want to talk through like how that came about? Like how did you get her interested in what um, you're doing and? Like, what's that like doing a kind of like a father-daughter duo? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's, that's cool because um, uh, this all started as a project for my little girl when she was in kindergarten. So she would have been six around there. Um, she came home one day with the note and a little piece of cottonwood root. Um, the note said that she had a, a pen pal in Zuni, New Mexico, which is east of us as well. And... Um, uh, as a way to share culture, the parents were instructed to create a patukya, you know, carve out a top. Um, at that point, I think I was into my journeymanship as a butcher, so I never carved wood, you know, before I just carving meat all the time. <laughs> and um, but my twin brother Jonah, he's a uh, he was a kachina doll carver as I was being a butcher, so I had to go to him and like borrow his carving knife and. I already knew what a top looked like, you know, in my mind, because I'm a nerd and I know like different toys and whatnot. So I, but I didn't know anything about carving wood. So my first top was like really rough. I just used the, the knife for the whole thing and carved out the tip with this and then like made a handle for it. And it was a top, but it was really rough and everything. I didn't know about rasps and files or anything like that. So um, it spun, but it spun like this. <laughs> It was like wobbly, yeah, and, and me as a nerd, I know that when a stop spins, it spins straight up and down on an axis, you know, giving enough torque to make it spin like that. So I'd be standing there cutting meat, you know, in the daytime and whatever, and just sitting there and then standing there cutting meat, but in the back of my mind, it's like it bothered me that that thing was spinning like that. So um, OCD kicked in, I guess, and um, I, I went back to my brother and asked him, you know, like, can I learn how to carve wood from you, you know? Um, nobody really knows how to make these anymore because at that point they were like kind of like extinct, you know? I remember them, but I remember them when I was like a real small child. And I couldn't go and ask like, hey man, how do you make a patukya, you know? Because there was nobody to ask. So what I did was, um, went to the village and asked all the elders about them, you know, learned, learned that way, then took all of that knowledge and my knowledge of science and angles, height to ground ratios and, and all of that and put it into this. But my daughter, she was the one that really um, 
evolved from it because when she was little and I got to a point where I started being able to like sell them, which I didn't really know how to do because, you know, I'm not, a, I wasn't an artist at that point. And right. so we go to like these different shops and uh, my daughter, she was the demonstrator. So she would demonstrate like the method of play with using a stick and a string with the Hopi style tops. I think I can probably do it right here in the sand. <laughs> Should be able to. That's a challenge. <laughs> challenge. Yeah, yeah. So um, a Hopi style top is like really simple shape. You know, it's like uh, has a tip. Um, I learned that we had to go to a rock, like a sandstone, because that's all there is here. And grind, 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 grind. I tried that one time when I was first starting out. It took me a day just to barely get like a little bit of a tip on there. And so I really, uh, that's why I only used hand tools is to keep myself rooted to that aspect of it where um, they had to work in order to play. But then this way, like to me, it teaches um, craftsmanship, you know, um, attention to detail, um, all of those good things. So my daughter would be doing this. She'd be... Um, She'd be demonst demonstrating. Uh, I don't think it'll work. Maybe get some rocks out of the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, she would uh, demonstrate the method of play for the spinning top, and then um, <laughs> nine times out of ten, that would be what would oh, um. Close. Well, that wait, would be can you what do it would, on the chair? Yeah, I can do it on the chair. Yeah, oh, there you go. Good idea. Good <laughs> idea. Yeah. So my daughter um, grew up doing this. What I'm doing right now, I had to relearn how to play because you know we all stop playing as we grow up. So um, it took me a couple of weeks to be able to to be able to learn how to play, and then uh, so you hit it and you hit it with the string and it keeps it spinning. So uh, imagine like a dozen kids all doing this at the same time. That's what I remember when I was a little kid. So yeah, my daughter grew up and um, now she's 23. So she's gonna be 23 uh, in November. Yeah. And um, she, uh, I was having some health issues within the past couple of years. Um, I, I think I had, I had a detached retina, so I thought I was going blind, you know, everything was blur and I couldn't see anything, you know, it was scary. Um, I thought I was gonna have to quit doing this because you know, I can't see. So I started teaching my daughter how to carve wood and in the Hopi, it's taboo for the ladies to carve the kachina dolls, you know? So I had to go and ask and see if it was okay for her to learn how to carve wood, you right. know? They're like, well, as long as it's not a kachina, you know, she oh. should be okay. Cause there are women carvers. And um, so she's does a lot of my, the, oh, I didn't bring any of the real small ones, but the real small pieces that I have are her work. So she does a lot of the real small stuff now. and. I'm free to do the award-winning tops, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, so now um, if I wanted to, I'm comfortable to leave her, like, at a show or whatever, whether it be a demonstration show or an art show, like uh, the Santa Fe Indian Market, something like that, I'm comfortable leaving her alone with the booth and she'll, right. she'll do everything, you know? That's cool. So, yeah, so she she's a really, she grew up really doing this, and she knows um like business sense and how to market yeah. advertising all of that cool stuff so yeah i'm trying to make her go back to school to learn more about it because <laughs> um, one thing i hate to do is like paperwork you know and <laughs> i'm trying to get her to be my my paperwork gal <laughs> yeah. i like yeah. our, uh, earlier when we were talking in the watchtower you were saying uh, at the beginning you'd split the profits 
80 20 yeah, and then yeah. <laughs> it was like 30 like what is that 30, yeah the 70 30 60 40 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah now we're 50 50 so <laughs> she grew up learning a sense of how to use money and how to earn money because um we, we do a sale you know i make like a hundred dollars she'd be right there where's my 20 dollars you know <laughs> and she'd be growing up every time that she started knowing when i like promote her or whatever that she'd do the math and everything and like as soon as we get done, like where's my cut? You know, like, like like be on it. She was on it, and and uh, now um, for a while she was like kind of um, like taking it for granted, you know, like automatically gonna start making this much money and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but then now as an apprentice, I um, I do it based on her production and everything, and how much time she takes in doing what she's doing. You know, if I mm -hmm. set her a task. And um, so like that much, and then she'll say, oh, well, I want half. Although like, well, how much did you do? You know, how much work did you do? Right. I'm putting, taking as a business, you know, and she's like, like my employee now. So I got to make <laughs> sure she's doing the work, you know, <laughs> otherwise she's going to be lazy and I have to carve out 60 tops and she's going to want half of that when she only does like maybe right. like three, <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah. So I'm kind of teach her that. To be responsible in that way and like you know like like set herself goals and all of that right. so yeah so that's really cool because uh -huh. i think one day she's gonna be <laughs> doing what i'm doing right now you know that'd be awesome so, yeah she'll carry it on and then um which is cool for me because that's one of my goals is to you know revitalize and keep this thing alive and yeah yeah so. and i'm excited she's gonna start making more more tops yeah um, and then um, you get a shift kind of more into your creative brain and doing more intricate work. Could you exactly. explain like where your ideas come from and your inspiration for what you're gonna design on your top? Um, a lot of my tops and my top designs, they're, um, they're come from like childhood memories, you know, like um, like things I experienced in nature yeah. as a child or things like, like conquests and, you know, even defeats and stuff like that as a kid. Um, I'll carve it into these tops and um, that way it like lives on not only in my memory, you know, right. but like uh, as a way to keep my memory fresh. Um, but uh, a lot of my designs nowadays um, come from conservation efforts. I believe that um, much like a turbine can create an energy, a top will create an energy as it's spinning. So now a lot of my designs are in hopes that these things I'm putting into and on my tops are gonna materialize in this world somewhere, you know? Like we need, uh, the bees are becoming extinct, so we need more pollinators. So I'll put bee tops that are like totally carved out with bees and hives, honeycombs and flowers and whatnot. So um, I'll do tops like that. And that's my ideas come oh. from things that I want to materialize into this world by using this spinning energy. Yeah. And. Um, but yeah, like sometimes um, I'll create like, um, like for one of the rangers, um, a couple of maybe five years ago, she liked butterflies. So I created a top that was um, totally carved out butterfly up here and the bottom part was like a, like a, like a lady, like a maiden. Oh, 
female made like the butterfly was landing on top of her head oh, so, cool. and it spun. it's like really colorful and everything and another ranger was um, part of the turtle group and i made her a really cool colorful turtle like the sun was shining through the water and hitting that turtle shell and all those mosses and stuff that yeah. grow on it and it made it like a burst of color oh, cool. so yeah so when it spun it was like really really colorful and everything so yeah like in terms of designing a toss like there's two parts to it right you're not only thinking about what is it going to look like but also what's it going to look like when it starts to spin yeah how do you decide or how do you even like think like like that is blowing my mind in terms of like because <laughs> today you were even talking about like oh i'm going to use blue and red to design a top so that when it spins it makes a purple color mm. like how does how do those like ideas come into your mind too like the um, color play that you can do when well, it's in motion versus not. Like, I'm sure like a lot of artists, um, especially painters, they have what's called a color wheel. Yeah. So that shows you which colors are going to do which or whatever. So I kind of like have a mental color wheel in my yeah. mind. And um, it's like I can't look at things now normally every time i see something it's my mind it's doing this it's like spinning it so yeah 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 so um i always wonder like well what colors go with this color and but as i'm carving it like this right now what i'm carving i think i'm gonna carve like a maybe a grasshopper or something there that's what i see is a grasshopper yeah. sitting right here so this is gonna be like the back legs the front legs the head right here this is all gonna be cut away and then it's gonna be sitting maybe on a flower or something like yeah, that so on the flat part. yeah it's just like um a lot of times i don't want to make these things it's what's inside the wood that i see that it's what the wood wants to be you know cool. so yeah a lot of times my my i just use my imagination and what's the wood is wants, wants to be you know it's like i can't yeah. force it right. and when i do when i do try to force a design they're never balanced they're always like they won't spin at all wow. and yeah so i know what well, i'm going to change it then into something else and then it's like it, it works it turns it starts spinning again so um that's cool yeah and like speaking of like the nerd inside you and the way it spins like like being able to teach this to someone what's involved in like learning how to make a top oh my because goodness, it um, seems like a lot of art but also a lot of math yeah it's it's math it's science it's um it's attention to detail yeah uh when i first started doing this uh, like i say i'm a nerd so um <laughs> I was taking a lot of time to figure out like the angle of the tip, a uh, 45 degree angle or like a 30 degree angle right. for um, best ground to height to ground ratio and all of that. Yeah. So uh, it was hard <laughs> teaching my daughter all of that because, right. you know, she's like not a science buff and like math is new math nowadays is crazy. And, yeah. um, uh, so um, what it was turned out to be like really really technical you know it's like using a lot of like a like a um, compass and everything and a lot of different tools um, somehow uh, it evolved in my mind and in my hands that instead of doing all of that like getting a ruler and trying to see if I have the right angle or whatever it's all feel by feel I'm feeling the wood and I'm I'm feeling like if there was a little see it's not even right here right it goes up it goes down you can do so you this can do this it. with it turn it yeah turn it in your hand 
you oh, can yeah. feel all those bumps and raises and yeah. everything. You guys want to check it out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone so, can feel um, the feel it. <laughs> rather than being, um, yeah, just get it and like turn it in your fingers, and you'll feel all of those bumps and raises and everything. And that's what I kind of take away. Right. But um, now, yeah, I don't even use hardly any um, any math or whatever. It's just all what I feel. But I'll then feel. the only time I use math is when um, I um inlaid natural stones like okay. turquoise or yeah. opal or you know any of the, the natural stones sometimes i'll inlay them into the top and then i gotta use math because i gotta take the weight of that stone counterbalance with the weight of the other stone wow. that i'm using sometimes i have to use like two or three stones on this side to counterbalance that weight huh. and then make the top so it'll spin using those stones right. as a um like for uh, more momentum forward momentum so when i start to spin it the weight of that stone will push the other weight of the stone and it'll cause a longer spin so uh then i gotta like figure out how much kilograms or micro kilograms and yeah <laughs> right. yeah so i gotta figure all of that out and and the most stones i've ever put on a top was 26 pieces of turquoise oh wow onto a top and that spun for like a really long time because all weight? of those yeah all that weight Whoa. and the way i made it it was shaped like a heart um so all of the stones that were on this part of the heart counterbalanced this stones on this heart and like made more weight as it spun so it was like kind of pushing it it pushed itself yeah yeah going. and if Whoa. it wasn't for friction that probably would have spun for like half an hour or so yeah. but yeah it's always the friction that the two surfaces are touching that slows down a top as it's spinning. So um, if there wasn't friction, theoretically a top would spin in perpetual motion, but there's friction and that causes heat and heat causes, you know, slowing it down. So, right. um, I- Kind of like the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the world's doing this right now. It's supposed to be spinning like this, but it's, spinning like this kind of an accident. so it's like a wobble it's doing like a wobble i think it's like a like a 26 degree wobble so right now uh the north pole used to be like this but then now the north pole is like more towards the british isles so in the hopi we have a story about that about what the earth is doing mm -hmm. um it has to do with twins the twins control the the poles of the earth and then when it gets to a point in time when the earth is like, you know, going to end, the twins go opposite and then they make the earth shake and it gets wobbly and the oh. earth will crumble. So that, I think that's what's happening now is because the earth's doing that wobble. It's been wobbling since 2011, I think. And um, so my next really big, my best of show top that I want to do is going to be like an eight inch diameter top that's going to explain that story. And the twins are going to be on there. So then when it spins, it's going to like all tops that spin, they wobble when they slow down. But what's cool is that when a top does like a wobble when it's slowing down, it's going even faster than it when it first started. Wow. So it's all that energy that's going to build up. And then as it wobbles, it like goes boom. It's like a wow. burst of energy. So when it wobbles, it's going even faster. That's going to be really cool to see. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So then that top, when it's going to stop, it's going to be like the twins yeah, are making twins. That, that wobble happen and like the earth is going to crash. That's cool. So, yeah. So. Will you have that done by Thursday? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I, in in my mind, I'm carving it right now. And <laughs> yeah, I'll have it done probably probably for the herd show. That's the one cool. I want to win is the herd. At the herd museum. Yeah, the in herd Phoenix. museum down in Phoenix. Yeah, that's the cool. one I want to win. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, 
we're kind of winding down on mm -hmm. uh, my questions, but I had one, we were talking earlier about like tops and how you didn't really know how to appraise yourself. Like how much should these actually cost? And it was like bringing an, an idea into my head where we've had um, many cultural demonstrators come out and like there's all this love and positive energy that goes into all this different art. Mm -hmm. um, but then when people buy that art, it kind of just sits on a wall or sits on on a shelf. Yeah. And I really appreciate your artwork because you play with it. You actually utilize it. You're not just admiring it from a distance. You're actually like, you're bringing out that positive, that mm -hmm. kid energy, like you were saying. But it's also this very beautiful thing that you have just thought up in the wood. Um, how do you like... How do you envision yourself in that that scope of like trying to figure out the worth um, that you're of what you're creating when you have so many more dynamic interactions with your um, with your clientele, I should say? Yeah, um, that was like my biggest problem, you know, as an emerging artist and all of that. I didn't know the value of my own work, you know, which is I think a lot of problems for a lot of artists and people that make crafts and whatnot. Right. You know, what am I going to price to set? You know, what's somebody going to pay? You know, um, when I first started out, these things were like $5, $10, like oh, wow. this. What? You know, yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know what it was worth or whatever. I was happy to be able to sell that for that much, you know. Um, but I'm a nerd and I'm, I'm a smart man. I, I have an associate's in business. So <laughs> I started using that yeah. towards what i'm doing now you know i'm running a business i'm not going to be giving things away you know like i put x amount of time into doing this whether it's going to hunt for the wood bringing it back curing it cutting it making it into something that's gonna work you know perfectly in my mind because it has to or else i'm not gonna sell it so i started learning about commerce and like i looked how much a man-made machine-made top was you know yeah. uh, mine aren't machine-made right. i put more effort into it i put that into account so started like bringing bringing my prices up and everything and like i'm running a business now so yeah. it's like you know um but <laughs> the other side of that is i'm not greedy for money or whatever yeah. you know um you saw yourself, I've given away tops here yeah, today, you know, you like did. at least three or four today because um, to me, it's not about the money, you know. Uh, sure, I can make money doing this and I do make money doing this, but the feeling that somebody gets when they see this, like an old person that hasn't seen a toy in 80 years is going to see this thing and mine is going to go back to that time when he was a child, he or she was a child. And their faces change, their demeanor changes, they light up and they get this energy. Every time it's like an energy that yeah. they, like they stand up straighter. Uh, one time I had an 80 year old gentleman come and he said he used to play with the stick and a string top and it took him like 14 times to get down enough to actually spin the top. But he did it and he like, like as soon as he did it, like his whole body just, like loosened up and yeah. he was whipping it and like playing with it and it was cool to me to see that so that kind of thing is like the reward that i look for and that's yeah. like that's my reward for doing this you know it's not about the money sometimes right a lot of times you know yeah yeah and i think that brings like a huge point is like like the 
pure joy that your art brings is mm -hmm. kind of almost invaluable. Like even today, I know I was playing with your oh. tufts and yeah. that was like, oh, I forgot I was working. Yeah, right. <laughs> like it was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, um, you were talking about um, something that sits on the mantle or whatever on yeah. the shelf. Uh, a lot of my award-winning tops do that, which is sad to me because I make them, no matter what the shape, size, whatever, they're all made to spin. And a lot of my big-time collectors that buy my big ones, they, um, they'll they just sit there on their shelf or whatever, and I ask them, you know, like five, six years later, you know, do you guys play with your top? Oh, no, it just sits on the shelf, whatever else. I was like, yeah. can you please spin it like one time? <laughs> Release that positive yeah, yeah, energy. Yeah, 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 get some energy going in. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Made for the dust to fly off. Yeah. One of my biggest collectors, she uh, has a big bowl, has like maybe 15, 16 tops in there. She keeps it out for people to come and play with them and whatnot. Awesome. And yeah, yeah. So. That's really cool. My last question before we throw it to the audience is, if you had one takeaway for all of us here in this community tonight, um, what would that be? Uh, never stop playing, you know? Um, the art of play is something that's dying out in the world thanks to these things, you Technology. know, you're hunched over, I'm playing, don't bother me, you know, go do the dishes, oh, I can't, I'm playing, you know, that's, that, that's crazy to me, that's crazy, because I grew up playing outside, running around, climbing rocks and doing all this stuff, getting into trouble and danger, and um, so when we stop playing, there's synapses in our brains that go dormant. You know, and those synapses in our brains that are associated with play are also associated with memory. So if you stop playing, those synapses are going to stop moving and stop firing off. So you're going to start forgetting things. You're going to start having memory lapses. And um, it's a proven fact that the art of play as well as music is a most beneficial thing for your brain to do. No matter if you're nine or 90, you know, we all have a little kid inside uh never stop playing you know you're never too old to play no matter how old you are so that's one thing i wanted everybody to take away is just be, remember that little kid inside of you i love that, keep that never little... stop playing and i i thank you so much for like coming to our demonstration program um which will be in the watchtower tomorrow mm -hmm. from nine to four as yeah. well as on thursday so if you want to see um, Gregory, making more tops or ask more questions, you yeah. can visit there. But it's really great that you're here, and I'm happy to have met you because uh. I also really appreciate the idea that you're bringing this back, like bringing something that was close to being kind of forgotten yeah, back um, to life. And that's just really cool how you're doing that through art. It's cool to me because um, I noticed like a lot of kachina dog carvers yeah. are starting to make Batukya now, you know. Oh, cool. Um, but like, I think I got it to a point where there's a Patukya and then there's hilltops. So I kind of like made myself higher in skill level and all of that. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to me to see that the curvers are making these because, like I say before, when I first started this, nobody was making them. Right. But now it's coming back, so That's I'm, so I'm cool. revitalizing it, which is my my goal. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to throw it to the audience if anyone has any questions, too. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. What type of wood do you like to collect and use? Um, okay, so the wood that I use is um, the root from the cottonwood tree. So the cottonwood trees, they normally grow like near a body of water or a river. 
So the root system, it grows into the water. Um, the water, when it's flowing, it'll break it off. Sometimes I get 20, 30 foot lengths and the water helps to straighten them out. So I'll go and hunt like near rivers and whatnot around locally and, you know, around and I'll go hunt on the riverbeds and find these pieces of wood. I'll drag them out of the water, haul it back and take it home, dry it out and cure it. And the better, you know, I can always tell because I'll like put my thumb into it. And if I can really put it in there, then I know that's like soft, good, good, soft wood. But um, that's my favorite piece of wood only because it allows me to really like carve into it and stuff. But um, I've used um, teak, ebony, uh, ironwood, you know, a lot of the hardwoods because the more the top weighs, the more it'll spin, the longer it'll spin. The heavier the weight, the longer to spin. So those tops that I made from ebony and teak, those ones spun for like maybe five minutes. Wow. The ones from ironwood that I'm trying to make from ironwood, that's just like, like, like metal. <laughs> so uh, that one's taking me a while, but I, that one's going to probably spin for a very long time too. There's a tribe down in um, Mexico called the Siri. Uh, they have lady carvers and they carve nothing but ironwood and geez, they carve like flamingos and pelicans and <laughs> from one piece of wood and they make it look like it's like butter. So I don't know how. They, the kind of magic they're using, but yeah. <laughs> women power. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wonder Woman power. I like <laughs> but it. it's fun watching them. I was at a um, wood carving convention in San Diego, like in 2015, and all these little noises that I make with the with the wood, it was like amplified by a thousand because there was like 500 wood carvers all in the same Whoa. room That's working. Cool. Yeah, so that was a big kick for me. That's cool. Any other questions? Uh, which, uh, yeah, after you plant it, but in the, oh. the top? The patukya? The patukya. Mm -hmm. What's been the, uh, the longest amount of time that you've worked on one particular? Oh, okay. Uh, longest uh, time you've worked on one? Oh, the longest patukya. time I've worked on the one, like to carve it? To one particular um, three and a half months. Oh, wow. Um, I won first place at a show. Um, I carved the, um, I carved a hummingbird. So the hummingbird was kind of like this shape, but then the wings came out like that. And then the, the head was dipping into a flower, which I carved this whole part was a flower. So the hummingbird head was dipping into it and its wings were like, like fluttering like that. And that one was inlaid with um, spiny oyster shell, red coral, um, I think it was Bisbee turquoise. Wow. Uh, it was all kinds of like flowers carved around the side of it too. And then the bottom was uh, like uh, pottery designs that were hummingbirds. So that took me yeah, like three and a half months because every little feather was carved out. Every little overlapping feather from the wings to the body to the tail and all of that. So yeah, that took me three and a half months for that one. Okay. Next question. How, how much uh, time do you envision uh, dedicating to the Yiddish? That you're be working on. Oh, yeah, the one that you're going to make with the twins. Oh. <laughs> How long do you think that'll take? You? I've been carving that in my head for three years now. So <laughs> I find I'm looking for the piece of wood that's perfect for it, you know. I have some good diameters. I'm looking for eight inches or more because I'm going to carve it down because it's going to be a lot. So if has I can. It, and I'm sure it has, has it happened to you where, uh, for instance, you're dedicating a. Uh, uh, 15 hours to top and then it splits in half and then you... Oh, does it ever split or break? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
handles break a lot of times because the handles are carved out of one piece of wood. And right. um, I find that when I'm like disturbed or, you know, like preoccupied, mm -hmm. my tops don't get balanced. So that's why I know I'm, I'm like bothered about yeah. something. So, um, yeah, I've carved tops where I've carved wings and everything out of a butterfly and then I'm getting to that last point where I'm burning and I do it wrong or something and it huh. pops off. But um, I've learned that every mistake is an opportunity. Mm. So when I break something, I can turn it into something else. And I'm the only one that knows about the mistakes. So I used to be really, really hard on myself about, about mistakes until I realized that one, I'm the only one that knows about those fake, and two, nobody else knows that it's, it's a mistake, you know? <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take that home. <laughs> so, yeah, so every even in, like, different things that I'm not carving, when I make mistakes in life, I know it's an opportunity because I can learn from it and right. not do the same thing again, you know? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to be more extra careful being a butcher and all of that, but... Um, <laughs> So I, no, uh, no this is, that's where my steak here. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? And, and I learned the old school way where it's all hand cut. Um, we really used to saw and everything, so everything was all the different types of knives that we used to debone, to slice, to cut, to make roasts and everything. Yeah, yeah. All ten fingers. <laughs> yeah, I got a good scar, though. I got a really good scar from a, from a cut, but that's my initiation. I took it like that, like initiation. So I never cut myself after that. Same thing with wood cutting. I cut my finger really good when I first did it because I didn't know what I was doing. And um, that was like my lesson learned. So I never right. cut myself. I cut myself every once in a while, but it's not a big thing to me. You know, I was like, ah, put some super glue on it and <laughs> get back to work. Keep going. I love that. Yeah. Any other questions? Where do you get your carving um, tools from? These are actually my grandmother's tools. She was a wood carver. So a lot of my files and rasps are hers. Um, this is my carving knife. It's a um, brand called Opnil. It's a French made uh, knife. Um, before I used to use a, um, the old Henry knives, you know, the old um, folding knives. Those were like the number one wood carving knives back in the day because it was high carbon steel, you know, it stayed sharp for a long time. But um, nowadays, if you see wood carving knives, like the Kachinado carvers and whatnot, they'll have probably an Opnil knife. Um, you get these like on Amazon or whatever. In France, <laughs> I heard they're like only $2 or whatever. Here they're like uh, 16 to 25, I think. So, but uh, they got different sizes, like the blade sizes go up and down. So uh, this is a number eight. Um, I have a number six as well. I use the number six for uh, finer detail work, like really, really small carved out stuff. But um, Did your brother I haven't had to buy. Yeah, he uses the same kind. Same yeah, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. This is the kind I cut myself with the first time, so, uh -huh. <laughs> but not this one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, all of my rasps and files, you know, they're all my great, my grandma's tools and whatnot. So um, she probably got them from wherever hardware store was alive <laughs> back in the 70s, probably. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's fun to use her tools because especially a little mallet that I have because I can feel her energy in it, you know, when she's used it for so long. And like when I'm, I know I'm not holding it right, I'll like, I'll look at it and then like, oh, yeah, this is how she was holding it. And it, it like works a lot better. So I can feel my grandmother's energy in, in the tools that I use and. I like that, you know, because her carvings are uh, nothing but ironwood, and it's like really, really cool, cool intricate carvings, and like I'm, I'm glad to be able to use her tools for what I do. 
Well, thank you so much mm -hmm. for coming out. Mm -hmm. So, oh, did you have one more question? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Tony, you talked a lot about the cops today, but what, what about the, the pieces you have? Oh, the pieces up front. Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, uh, being a butcher, you know, I never had time for art, you know, at all. Um, but I used to like to draw a lot, you know, like a really good drawer. I used to be a tattoo artist um, when I, in my 20s. And, um, oh, cool. So, <laughs> Should have talked about that. In yeah, right. <laughs> so um, uh, these, uh, I'm currently going through uh, uh, hemodialysis, you know, because my kidneys are jacked up. So um, uh, when I'm at dialysis, um, this arm just like sits there. And before I was carving there, but then um, this arm just sits there. So this arm's free and I get bored, you know? So I, I bought a sketch pad. Um, all of the designs I put on my tops, I never draw them beforehand. It's always just what I see in the woods. So I don't have any sketches of stuff, you know? Um, but now I started uh, drawing in that sketch pad. And so I've been getting those doodles, you know, pretty much. I get it and then I take it home and kind of build up on it. So, um, I started making relief style carvings with this. So oh. all of my ideas from dialysis are turned into uh, wood, wood hangings, wall hanging art. Cool. So, yeah. So I call them my dialysis doodles, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like um, fun for me for doing something different, you know, when I want to do something different besides tops. So yeah, yeah. I've, I've been winning awards for my flat pieces too. So yeah, That's those really ones cool. are pretty neat. <laughs> Well, thank you all for coming. The sunset will be Oh, nice. Soon. It should be a good one, too. <laughs> so get a good spot. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for coming. Feel free to come up here it. and yeah, yeah, take a check look. It out. Yeah, yeah, come If you need the parking it. lot, it's behind you. If you come you. tomorrow, I have like 40 more, I think. And these are all going to be carved to tops by the end of Thursday. Canyon Speaks is a program hosted by Grand Canyon National Park and the Grand Canyon Conservancy. A special thanks to Aaron White for the theme music. This recording reflects the personal lived experiences of tribal members and do not encompass the views of their tribal nation or that of the national park. To learn more about Grand Canyon First Voices, visit www.nps.gov grca. Here at Grand Canyon National Park, we are on the ancestral homelands of the 11 associated tribes of the Grand Canyon. These being the Havasupai Tribe, the Wallapai Tribe, the Navajo Nation, the Hopi Tribe, the Pueblo of Zuni, the Yavapai Apache Nation, the Kaibeb Band of Paiute Indians, the Las Vegas Paiute Tribe, the Moapa Band of Paiutes, the Paiute Indian Tribe of Utah, and the San Juan Southern Paiute Tribe. Mm -hmm.